Joe-san. Morning, everybody. Welcome. Let's all bring a little bit of order to our chaotic hearts and some order to the chaotic room. And let's welcome up Jeffrey as Jeffrey reads to us Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14. Mm. Yeah, okay. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command a blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself, and he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your livestock, and the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow." And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down. And if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them, and if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the commands that you have given us. You have given them not merely so that you can boss us around, although that would be your right should you choose to do so, but you, cho you did so to show us the way of life, the way to succeed, the way, dare I say, even to prosperity and blessing. We ask, Lord, that today as we... Uh, focus in on what it means to trust you and walk with you in our work. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, make this real to us in our specific circumstances. Lord, we know that you gave us the Bible not merely so that we would have uh, some theology book, but so that we would have guidance for how to live in, in a way that acknowledges you. So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, help us to, that you would bring these words back to us over and over again, and we would have them as much on Tuesday and Thursday as we do today. We bless all of your work in speaking to us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been, so we are in our second week now of discussing the theology of work, and I would like to reiterate again that when we use a word like theology, you may think of really long books full of outrageously long multisyllable words coming from Greek or Latin, and uh, you may think of uh, people like John Piper, et cetera, et cetera, who, who have a real knack for sounding smart. And when we talk about this kind of theology, we're not that's not necessarily what we're talking about. When we say a theology of work, we're saying, how does my work life fit with the rest of what I believe and how I follow Jesus? To put it a little differently, we might say, how do I follow Jesus at work? What would that even look like for me? And that's the, the primary question we're considering through this series. So as we're discussing work, one of the big questions is, how many people here are working? If you are a professional, if you work, you do something, and people pay you for it, this is a great time to raise your hand. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. You work, but you don't get paid. Okay. How many of you here would say that you, re that you love your job? 
Anybody here really love your job? I see one. I see a half-hearted almost. I do see a, a second definite. How many of you kind of like your job most of the time? Okay, more hands for this. How many of you are just kind of more positive than negative about your job? Okay. How many of you think your job, to one extent or another, stinks? Okay. How many of you think, like, the sooner I get out of my job, the better? Like, I'm living the curse. Okay. All of these are, the Bible talks about all of these scenarios, and there is there's room for all of those things in the Christian experience. Like, sometimes your job will be really good, and you're like, yes! Other times, your job will be really bad. And part of what, part of what has um, come into the church, and you'll see it more and more if you consume a lot of Christian media, is there's this sort of debate that is, that is kind of raging ongoing all the time now about, about how God, what God has promised us and what God has not promised us about money. And in particular, you'll see this uh, phenomenon going on. A lot of it is centered around the non-Western Christianity in Korea, in uh, Africa, in Latin America especially. They have, there is a line of theology that says that if you follow Jesus, he will provide for all of your needs. And providing for all of your needs means you will be in the black and not in the red. That your finances will make sense. That, that, that you will have all of, that you will be completely provided for. And of course, as we all know, we've heard people, uh, especially the sort of people you might find on TV, who will take this to the next logical extreme and say, well, if you don't have a private jet to take you from point A to point B, are you really even living God's blessing? And against that, you have this other current of, of Christianity, preachers and pastors and theologians, who are saying, no, God wants you to be poor, and the more desperately poor, the better, because it's the poor who are really blessed, and all of these people are false teachers, and we need to learn a theology of suffering instead of a theology of prosperity. And into all of this, it might be reasonable for us to ask, what promises does the Lord give us about work? Can we expect him to actually bless us at work? What would it look like to be blessed at work? Is there any kind of theology of prosperity, which is like actually real and realistic and biblical? Or is the whole category just like, oh, those covetous Americans teaching people to covet about everything? How should we expect that the, what does the Lord, does the Lord have any promises to us related to uh, money and prosperity? And as you might have guessed today, by the fact that we're opening up uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a book that is one big crossroad. It is a fork in the road. It says there is a way that will lead you into life. And there is a way that will lead you into death. And Deuteronomy 28 is in many ways the very heart of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the, it's, the epi, it's the climax of the whole book. Everything before this in Deuteronomy has been pointing us to this. And before it gets in, and when it talks about the ways that God chooses to bless us, that he will manifest himself in our lives, that the ways that he will show us where we stand with him, he actually addresses this in our work first. And this kind of points us to one of the issues that we sometimes have reading the Bible, which is that not everything the Bible says about work is something we immediately recognize as being about work. How many of you guys work in agriculture? Anybody? Anybody? Sort of? Kind of? Well, accounting for agriculture still is not agriculture. Sorry, that's still a service profession. That's a, those are, you're well within services at that point. But one of the things you'll find is that much of the Old Testament in particular, and really even into the New Testament, they speak the language of agriculture. They speak the language of rain and seeds and planting. Um, and obviously if you're a gardener, you're a gardener, you'll understand that somewhat. But honestly, even we gardeners are still just playing around with it. It's a hobby for us. It's not a matter of, I will literally starve 
if I don't grow enough this year. And, and even then, the people, one of the things you need to understand about why God does things the way he did, does is because in the Bible is because he wants to set an example for the rest of us to follow. In the, one of the reasons why God came and spoke to these people in the midst of their uh, agricultural life, in the midst of growing, is the fact that agriculture is really uncertain. Do any of you, how many of you guys, anyone here is paid by commission? Anyone here paid by commission? Sort of? Okay. But most people here, I would guess, work for a regular paycheck. Yeah? That's the most common form of urban life. And if you were to check back earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 11, the Lord warns them about the land he's about to bring them into. And if you're ever asking yourself, why of all the people of the earth did God go and choose Israel, right? Why didn't he choose China? Why didn't he choose any of the Native American peoples? Why didn't he choose, I mean, you could, you could just try to guess, trying to guess God's plan is hard to do. But one of the reasons he, he asked this group in this land, in this location, is because these were people who would teach us about faith, about believing him, about needing him just to get by. And in Deuteronomy 11, he says, you guys don't get it yet what life in the land is going to be like. He said, in Egypt, you could plant seeds and you could irrigate them. You could just like divert some water from the Nile and, and, and put that water there from the Nile and your seeds would grow. And it was as simple as that. You had easy and simple techniques that could get you food. And as a result, you never had to worry that if things went wrong, I wouldn't get to eat this year. In other words, he said, you could be self-sufficient in Egypt and do it really easily. But he said, in the land I'm sending you to, that land drinks rain, like drinks, uh, drinks uh, rain from heaven. And if I don't send you rain, you guys are not going to make it. And if you follow my commands, I will send you rain. If you don't follow my commands, I'll withhold the rain. And in saying that, he was saying to the Israelites, I'm bringing you to this land because in this land you will learn to trust me. And this is, this is really why you would say, why bring the, the, the gospel message to an agricultural people? Why bring it to them in this... Uh, in this setting, which is so distant from our setting. And the answer is, he was trying to teach us a lesson from fa on faith that we could bring back into all of our other settings. And actually, as you get later into the Bible, you start to see more urban settings, more employee settings instead of agricultural settings, especially as you get towards like the prophets. You see what like a righteous official might look like and what a wicked official might look like. And it's similar. But, but this lesson of faith is really what the Lord is trying hard to teach us. Because just like, just like today, there is, there is God's way of approaching business, but there, is, there, is all, there are also rival ways of approaching business. There are techniques, there are ways of thinking, there are ideas that circulate about work that are going to be completely opposed to the Lord's way of doing things. They'll say, do this and you will succeed, when in reality the Lord is not, um, he's actually seeking to use our work to teach us about the relationship we are supposed to have with him. He wasn't just trying to teach them, you know, best, do their best practices for, gardening, for uh, agriculture. He was really trying to teach them, trust me and you will have life. And this is also what we find in our circumstances as well we will find that the more that we turn away from the, Lord, from the world's way of doing things towards the Lord's way of doing things, the more we will find his, his blessing in practical, measurable ways. See, here in Deuteronomy, 20, in, in Deuteronomy 28, the passage that, that uh, Brother Jeffrey just read for us, you might have noticed that this, this blessing that they receive for obedience is incredibly holistic. Like, if we were to read that blessing the same way we would read it with our, our uh, Western ways of thinking today, 
we would expect that it would talk exclusively about our psychology. If you follow all my commands, you will be happy, and there will not be a hint of sorrow in you, and no matter what terrible, bad circumstances you might be in, you'll be okay, and you will live and you will survive. And in almost any Christian congregation that there is in the world, that would be an accepted message. You would say, well, you know what, our life might suck, but at least, you know, you have God in the midst of it. But when you look at the promises that are actually made in Deuteronomy, he, it's not anything like that. He says, look, I realize that when you get into the land, you're going to be tempted to, do, to, to carry on the way that the people around you are carrying on. If there's one truth that the Bible believes in uh, really intensely, it's that the number one temptation that people face in the world is peer pressure. Amen? Uh, Adam and Eve, classic example of peer pressure, right? Eve tries it. She says, hey, not bad. Here, Adam, you take it. And he's like, peer, he gets peer pressured into it. Uh, similarly, when the Israelites come into the land, they, what they find in this land of uncertainty is they find that there are other people who have their special techniques for making it rain. And then, as now, making it rain, they thought of in terms of money and being rich, right? Slightly differently than we do it now. But, um, but to make it rain, they would have used, well, magic. They would have had, it, like, we think of the, the Native American people and their rain dances, right? But back then, they, they used their own forms of imitative magic. They would either... Um, they would either perform rituals where people would do fertility sorts of things and hope that it would make the land fertile. Uh, you can use your own imagination. You're probably right. And, and, they, would, and they had special gods that, would, that were supposed to be gods of fertility. Uh, Baal is the one that comes up a lot in the Old Testament. He basically is like Marvel Thor. He's, he's strong. He's sexy. He's the god of rain and thunder. So he's... Um, probably not funny, though. Sorry. But there are... Uh, and this was their way of, of doing things. This was their, their way of coping in a land without rain. And if they said, here's how the Canaanites are doing it, they would get peer pressured into it. They would say, well, it's good to worship God, but I guess it's also good to sort of cover all our bases and try to get rain through these other means. And now, if we were to take this at its most obvious then we would look at the, the first question of, like, the, the first commandments that we should make sure we're not breaking at work is, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. Like, in a Chinese context, that's kind of, like, literally true, because you might walk into a restaurant and see, like, a guangong or a caishen or something like that, where people are really literally, like, using idols to try to make their business succeed. But I think that in our context, we don't see too much of that. But what you will see is people looking to alternate um, sources to try to figure out how to get by. We'll, we will say, hmm, how should I succeed at work? And we'll read articles written by secular people taking in their, their ideas of what's, what's work appropriate and what's not work appropriate. We'll, we'll look to see, hey, you know, what, is, what are the folks around me doing? What are the ways that people have for getting ahead? What are, the, what are the possible, am I getting as much as I should be getting at this job, or am I uh, falling short about what I should be getting? And as we accept all of these other alternative ideas of what work is and what it means, we'll find ourselves drifting further and further away from how the Lord sees work and what he wants to do with us at work. So you have this, you have this gr the reason why people apply these other methods, the reason why uh, even churches really seek secular business models and try to go for them is because they believe if I do these other things, I will make more money. I will be, I will be more profitable. I will, um, at the end of the day, be happier. And we could look through each of our different obediences and we can spot where the lies start to come in based on, based on the specific commandments we're not willing to obey. 
uh, the, the Lord, when he, looks, when he talks about loyalty to him in this passage, he says, hey guys, I am your Lord. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You call me Lord, and like, you're exclusive to me. So don't mess around with these other gods, these other ways of getting rich. He starts to, he's, he's given them ways to check and see if their loyalty adds up. And these ways are the Ten Commandments, That's, which is why in Deuteronomy 10, he keeps saying, if you keep my commands, all of these blessings will come upon you. And we might like look through and say, well, what commandments would we be tempted to break at work? Last week, we went through, we, I asked you to, to think through your job and think through all the possible forms of temptation you might face on your, on your work. Did anybody actually do that? Did we have people think through all of the forms of temptation you might face at work? Okay. Well, as you consider these things, if you were to take it back, what you would find is each of these possible temptations that we face could be traced back to a threat to one of the Ten Commandments. For instance, if one of the temptations you would face is, uh, all of my coworkers are gossiping all the time, and, I'm, and when I hear them gossiping, I'm really tempted to join in and gossip with them. And I'm, af I'm afraid that, a lot of temptations segue into, but, but I'm afraid that, amen? But I'm afraid that if I don't gossip with them, I'll stand out. I'll, they'll think I'm a goody two-shoes. They'll think I'm self-righteous. I, I, won't, I won't be one of, the, one of the boys or one of the girls, but I'm going, to be, I'm going to be like an outcast at my job, and I don't want that to be me. Lots of, one, of the demand, one of the commandments that I feel like is being challenged the most, that I hear about the most regularly, is the command to keep Sabbath. I, I couldn't begin to count the number of times I've heard people say, hey, uh, my job really needs me to come in on Sunday. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'd love to be at church, but I had to, I had to be at work and, and so on. And standing up for this one is really hard because it makes you, it, you it, the fear that would enter in is saying, man, if I ask to, to have this off for religious observances, I fear that I'll be seen as like a special snowflake that I'm someone who expects special privileges, that my work will have to be spread out among all my other coworkers and they'll resent me for it. We have all of these fears that if I really obeyed the Lord's command the way that he commanded it, that things at work will go wrong for us, that something, that there will be this, this, this problem that will set in and then I'll have to face it. And in reality, well, it's true. The Lord did, did tell us that following his commands would sometimes bring us trouble. But he also promised us that following his commands would bring us special favor and blessing. In Mark 10, Jesus has just talked about how uh, it's really difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then uh, Peter thinks about it and he says, hey, you know what, Lord? Like, you know how that guy wasn't willing to leave, sell all he had and follow you? He goes, well, like, we have left everything we had and followed you. What does that mean for us? And Jesus says to him, uh, I tell you the truth. Everyone who leaves behind family or possessions or land or belongings or friends for the sake of the gospel will find them again in this life a hundredfold and in the world to come eternal life. Again, Mark 10, so you, you can look it up. And what he says is, uh, oh, but he also adds, with persecutions. So in reality, this is where most people who start trying to discuss uh, the questions of prosperity, does God want me to be rich, they'll end up get, getting themselves in trouble basically this way. Whether they're reading Deuteronomy 28 or whether they're reading Mark 10, you will end up in trouble thinking about work if you forget one of these two things, okay? Following the Lord will bring you persecution. It will. 
One of the ways you can tell this is true is that there are two major narratives in the Old Testament that deal with people at work who are employees and who are employees of evil people, not good people. Okay? One of those major stories is Joseph. The other major story is Daniel. They both live in evil places. They both succeed professionally. And one of the things they both face is persecution. They do the right thing and they get punished for it. I can basically promise you, because Jesus does, that if you live following the Lord's way at work, you will get punished for it. It's just going to happen. It may come from above you when you, when you uh, are righteous in some way that goes against corporate culture. It may, it, may, it usually does, come from your peers uh, when, they, when they see you succeeding and them not succeeding, even though they're cheating and you're not. But one way or another, you are going to meet opposition by evil people. It just will happen. Because sooner or later, there will be pressure on you at your job to break one of the Ten Commandments. It might be, do not bear false witness against your neighbor when they ask you to do something profoundly untruthful. It might, be, uh, it might be, do not covet. It might be any number of different possibilities. But, but at some point, you will be asked to go against what everyone all around you is doing. And at that time, you will, you will see, you will feel the consequences of what, will, ha what hap will happen to me if I do not obey. What happens to me if I, if I misgender a colleague? Yikes, right? Am I about to get, am I going to get fired? Will I get canceled? How is this going to work? And the, the, the fear will really start to set in. If I, simply, if I simply cave in and I do everything my job is asking me to do and I'm a good company man, will I be all right? And it's easy to, it's easy to look at the Israelites from the Old Testament and say, man, those idiots. They, they read so many times about how if they obeyed the Lord, they would be blessed. And they kept going back to Baal and Asherah. What, what fools? Like, how dare they? If we were back then, we would be much more uh, obedient, right? And yet, when we're on the job, it is so easy to chameleon and just give in to what everyone else is doing. And if you say, well, uh, I'm, just, I'm afraid to stand out. And that, that fear can have such a profound grip on us, doesn't it? That in that moment, you don't realize that you are being an idiot by not listening to the Lord. You already feel like an idiot by not listening to the wisdom of those around, the wisdom of those around you. It's so easy to get pulled in to following the crowd. And um, because of this, Deuteronomy 28 just, just goes in at great length to say, if you follow me, it will not always feel intuitive. Uh, one of the commands, for instance, is uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, I'm not the world's greatest at math, but it's hard to imagine a world in which not working one day out of seven, in fact, not working one year out of seven years, could lead you to more prosperity than working the whole time. Like the math there is really hard to justify. Now, of course, if you're talking about agriculture, we, we know today about like letting the land lie fallow and what that means for like the soil and things like that. But back then they had no concept of that. They really did not understand why just not working the same crop every year would, would actually make sense. So they said, well, God, why are you asking us to do something so strange and so counter to what our neighbors are doing? Uh, we actually have texts from Greek people talking about Jewish people, saying, oh man, those Jewish people are so lazy. They need rest one, one day out of every seven. Like, LOL. And that, is the, that, that, that kind of is the, that was the mindset that people had back then. They said, well, why would you even do things that way? How dare you be closed on Sunday, so to speak. Well, back then it was Saturday, but you get the idea. Um, and yet the Lord says, if you trust me with this, if you take my word for it on this, I'm going to make it worth your while. 
And as he goes through all of the blessings in, uh, in Deuteronomy 28, and I might add, also in Mark 10, he talks not just about seemingly spiritual things, but about very deeply work-related things. He talks about, for instance, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field, which I'm profoundly thankful for that he didn't just say in the field. So he said, yeah, you urban guys will be blessed too. But then look at how comprehensive all the blessings he, says, he gives are. The fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock, your basket and your kneading bowl, when you come in, when you go out. That's the, uh, that's the mission verse of in and out by the way, in California. Blessed shall be in when you go in and when you come out. Uh, yes, it totally is. That's where the name comes from. Uh, yeah, so it's holy food, but that's a whole other topic for a whole other conversation. Then he talks about them being blessed in war. He talks about that the enemies who rise up against you being defeated before you. They'll, they'll come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Why seven and not eight? Because they won't go to the direction you're protecting. Amen. Um, and uh, he'll give you blessings in your barns, in all that you undertake. Bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. He'll make you holy. He will make you abound in prosperity. He repeats it again. He'll give you land in the season. You will lend to many nations and not borrow. I mean, how is that for powerful, right? Lend to many nations but not borrow. I can't think of any greater measure of prosperity to say, how generous am I able to be and how much am I able to escape debt? In our culture, which direction your debt goes says a lot about the state of your financial life, doesn't it? This is really kind of like hard tack, you know, brass tack stuff coming from the Lord, isn't it? He's not just saying, wow, you'll feel good and you'll be good and you'll be spiritually good, whatever your physical life looks like. No, he's saying follow the Lord and there's like this real promise of material blessing. How far does it go? What the Lord is saying is not, if you follow me, I will make you overwhelmingly rich. Not only will you have a, uh, a private jet, you will have a, a top-tier private jet. No, what he's saying is, when you work, you will get to eat what you have produced and you will rejoice. When you work, you will get to eat what you have produced and you will rejoice. Several times throughout the Old Testament, there are th three different places, in fact, he says, um, he describes living at peace as saying each man will sit in his own vineyard and under his own fig tree. In other words, what you have planted, you will get to receive. You won't work and make someone else rich. You will work and you yourself will be able to become uh, rich. But what, they are say what he's saying is not, you know, hey, you're going to win the lottery tomorrow because you've obeyed the Lord. What he's saying is you will be able to uh, be set free from fear, you will gain security, and you will be able to enjoy that which you have produced. It won't, it won't be something that, that is coming in and immediately going back out. When I was visiting Honduras, we saw this in the most concrete terms possible. You could visit a house and you knew right away whether the people who lived there were believers or not believers. And the church in Honduras, I should add, was in many ways a lot healthier than the church in America. And you could see signs of it like everywhere. Practically every car that passed by, you could see signs that were like, well, in Spanish, the Lord is my shepherd or like I belong to God or like you'd see things like that just everywhere. It was so obvious that the church was prospering there. And one of the ways you could see it is if you went into a house and you visited the people, you saw what they were doing. Were they, were they smoking? Were they drinking? Were they, were they a people who uh, sexual ethics are a big deal there? And you could, you could tell in what houses they had the mom and the dad, and those were the houses where the mom and the dad were both Christians. And you could see that where, there were, where the gospel did not go, there were people committing adultery. There were people who were, uh, who were gambling. There, there was a whole line of vices that went with not following, and there was a whole list of virtues that came with following. 
And because they were following the Lord, you could see just this increase going up. Now, at this point, I guarantee you, there are people in the room who are saying, but man, I've tried so hard to follow the Lord. I've, just, I, I've done my best to believe in him, to work with him, to follow him, to press on, and I feel like there's less and less hope in my life. I look, at my, I look at my job, I look at my credit card bills, I'm so afraid of where my future is going and where will this lead me. And this is the point where the, where the Bible really brings us back over and over again to trust, to hope, to, to approaching him, to saying, Lord, I don't, see the, I don't see all of the answers yet, but I know how I want to answer the questions you're asking me. We're saying, Lord, I feel that I'm not yet receiving the fullness of your promise, but I believe your promise. In other words, um, if we were to look at the great examples in the Old Testament of the people who obeyed God in the working world, uh, which again would be like Joseph and Daniel are the classic cases, what you would find is both of them had enormous lag periods between the beginning of their faithfulness and the time that God really lifted them up. With, with Daniel, you would find that right at the first time he first came to Babylon, when he first kind of entered school there, he said, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm not going to give in and become a Babylonian. But it was a really long time before he was brought to a position of power. He had to put up with the wicked ideas of wicked people for a really long time before the Lord lifted him up. He had to survive before he could prosper. And he was faithful the whole time. Um, and this, I might add, is the most dangerous time period for us. The most dangerous time period is when we have decided to obey, but we have not yet seen the fruit of obedience. It's when we have entered the land, and we're just like, all right, I'm going to plant. All right, I'm going to do Sabbath. And we haven't yet seen the abundance that is promised to us. Where we say, ooh, I'm really doing my best to be generous. I've taken a high schooler under my wing. I've shared, I've, I've taken them out for a bubble tea and that used to be cheap, a lot cheaper 10 years ago. And, uh, and here I am, I'm pouring into people's lives. I'm giving to these missionaries. I'm doing all, I'm, I'm doing all of this stuff that shows that I trust God financially. So, so where are all the results? Where are all the answers? And in that moment, we will be the, the most vulnerable to the lies of the evil one. Because during that in-between time, the evil one will say, man, dude, you're missing out. Look at all this money you're spending on tithing. Look at all this money you're spending on supporting the Lord's work in these, these other countries. Like, this is money that could be, you know, better shoes on your feet. This is money that could be, and you'll see all of the things that could be, and they'll look good to you. And you'll say, why am I doing things this way? Why, why have I gone through the trouble of not, uh, there, if not, of not gossiping at work if you find yourself sitting alone during your lunch break? But, you, but, but if we are faithful during that time, what you'll find is that with patience, with hope, that, that the Lord will come through and deliver on each of his promises. Uh, Joseph in particular, in Egypt, after he, after he had already had all the places put in place for him to be, risen, to be raised up to the top position of Egypt, he had been faithful with nothing. He had been faithful with something. He lost the something and went back to nothing and was still faithful. Even after all of that learning of wisdom, learning of faithfulness, learning of wisdom, learning of faithfulness, he did what he was supposed to do and then spent two more years in prison before the Lord raised him up. Two more years in prison before the Lord raised him up. Why is it that the Lord allows us to go through, well, poverty? Poverty of, of relationship, poverty of finances, poverty of family. All of, these, the, all of these poverties that seem like they're the opposite of Deuteronomy 28, the Deuteronomy 28 blessings. When we have been faithful... The answer is really simple. If we lived in Egypt, if it was as simple as push a button, get what you're supposed to get. If it was as simple as 
man, God, when is my, when is my job going to improve? Oh, yes, obey, obey me and your job will improve right away. We would never learn to trust him. It would be as simple as, you know, push the button, get a candy bar. And this is where most conventional prosperity theology goes wrong, if we're being fair about it. It gives us all of the covenant blessings for obedience and none of the covenant curses for disobedience. It gives us all of Jesus' promises. says, you'll get back a hundredfold in this life and in, the, and in the age to come, eternal life. But it forgets the with persecutions part. It forgets the, the waiting period. It forgets the difficult times of waiting for the Lord's promises to come true. It gives us, and so often, the times where we seek out those idols, those alternative ways of trying to get our work done, they come right before the breakthrough would have come. Samuel, uh, the, the classic example is from Samuel when, when Saul is really afraid that, uh, is really afraid that Samuel won't show up, so he sacrifices when he's not allowed to. And like, right as he's finishing the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. So often, the Lord has breakthrough promised for us, and we miss out on it because, we have, because we've simply um, given up on continuing to wait. We've become impatient. We've said, oh man, Lord, I've, I've just obeyed you so many times. Where are the results? But what we find is, if we trust the Lord to, to do things his way, if we trust him to say, uh, Lord, you promised, me I, that I should, you, you promised me that if I did not covet, that, that I would receive, then let's be people who are willing to say no to the many temptations that we find in our work. Let's be people who are willing to believe the Lord and do things his way. And what we will find is we will experience true prosperity. We will find ourselves in improved situations. We will find ourselves with more, with more influence over our coworkers. We will find ourselves as the head and not the tail. So let's be willing to believe him, to follow him, and to seek him. Just as Jesus did. Jesus gave up a very great deal to obey God in all that he did. Jesus gave up the respect of his peers. At the beginning of his ministry, everyone's amazed by his teaching. They all say, oh man, what, a, what a crazy guy this is. He speaks with so much authority. He speaks with so much power. And by the end of his ministry, he's made enemies of all of his fellow rabbis. The Pharisees are first in line to raise their hand to kill him. He does mighty miracles in Galilee, but his hometown is the last one to accept him. They just don't get it. Jesus, the firstborn son, leaves his family and travels. And his younger brothers and his mom chase him down and go, Hey, Jesus, like, what are you doing? Are you ever coming home? Are you going to help around here at all? Jesus gives up a great deal to obey God. But look at what he receives. Look at the family that Jesus won for himself. It looks like all of us. He, he accumulated for himself a family from every tongue and tribe and nation and people. Jesus offended, in many ways, his own people, the Jews. His own received him not. And yet, he collected for himself countless peoples and languages and tribes by his obedience. Jesus' very own body was broken and pierced and hurt. He endured suffering unlike anything that any of us have a comparison for. And yet, every week when we come together and we celebrate, we say, This is the body of Jesus. This is the blood of Jesus. Jesus has received all of the promises that the Lord would have promised. Blessed is he in every aspect of his life. And yet, he was crushed and bruised and broken and hurt. There was lag. If we're being precise about it, there was three days and three nights of lag 
between Jesus' suffering and his glorification, between his death and his resurrection. So let us choose to remain faithful. Let's choose to keep obeying the Lord and all that he's speaking. Let's be kind and compassionate when everyone else at our job is cranky and rude. Let's bless when we receive curses. Let's be willing to, to follow him even when it hurts us. And if we find ourselves still suffering, if we find ourselves still in the red, never in the black, then we can encourage ourselves with this. The fact that Jesus, for three days, lay in the tomb with his disciples crying, with the whole world in grief. And yet, on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he ascended to the Father where he is seated at the right hand of God. So let's remember, those of us who are still living in the in-between, between obedience and prosperity, who are seeing one and not the other, that while God is rarely early, he is never late, that Jesus rose just when he promised, and that at the right time he will indeed raise us up too, provided we have suffered with him and followed him. So as you come to, as you come to the altar today, and as we eat the bread, and as we drink the cup, let's remember together that the Lord is one who keeps his promises. And I encourage you in particular, if there's any area of your life where you feel like you have, you have received the curse of, of Deuteronomy 28, when you, when you should have received the blessing, let's bring it to the Lord together. Let's submit a bug report. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's remind him and say, Lord, I belong to you. I follow you. You are my Lord. I am your vassal. Come and support me. Come and be with me. Let's bring to him, as we come, memories of our, uh, reports of our hostile coworkers, reports of our overworking, underpaying jobs, reports of all the places we are still experiencing the curse where we should have a blessing. And as we come to him, let's listen for what he might have to say and trust him that he is bringing the solution. If this is where you are, let's come together and let's celebrate the table of the Lord. Let's come. Some of you, you are listening today, and you know that when you go to work, you become a different person, and you chameleon really hard, and you just want to blend in with all the people around you. And the Lord is calling you to grow in seeking him with integrity at work, that you will be the same person that you are at work, that you are at, at home and in church. And if that's you, then, then can you just pray with me right now? Father, we want to seek you at work as much as in the rest of our lives. We trust you, Lord, that doing things your way is better. That even when it doesn't make sense to us, that, that we know that following you is the ticket to true prosperity. We ask, Lord, that you would, that, that you would uh, uh, when our enemies come one way, that they would flee seven ways. That, Lord, as we trust you, that we would see you vindicated in our lives. Help us to follow you as much there as we do here. In Jesus' name, amen. And second, um, some of you may be experiencing real, um, real financial hardship. And if you, and if you are uh, saying, you know, Lord, I really want to turn to you and put my trust in you today and believe that as I am faithful to you, I will receive that blessing, then now is the time. Let's go for it. Let's pray together. Father, you desire that no one should go hungry, but Lord, that all should, should enjoy the bounty of the good earth that you have given us. And Lord, we ask that in this place, uh, that all who put their faith in you, all who trust in you, all who choose to believe your promises, 
would receive, Lord, um, miraculous provision that we would be that we would be able to work and and to eat joyfully the, the produce of what we produce. We ask, Lord, that there would be that there would be reductions and um, wiping out of debt. We ask, Lord, that there would be for the first time. Uh, people able to save up who are living hand to mouth. We ask, Lord, that there would be real, measurable blessing in the lives of our people in as much as we are being faithful to you and believing you. And Lord, we ask that while that, that if we are living in that period of delay, in that period of lag, that we would not give up hope in your promise, but that we would hang on to you, cling to you, and follow you knowing that at the right time you will lift us up. Help us, Lord, to trust you in this. We know how easy it is to fear. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a people who are faithful to the Lord, and as a people who are putting our trust in him, let's, let's stand up, and with one voice, let's worship him together and express uh, together that trust that we have in him. Let's stand up. Father, we ask that this week you would help us in simplicity of heart to love you and to keep your commandments. And Lord, in that pure simplicity of obeying you and trusting you to provide, I ask, Lord, that you would meet us And that you would elevate, Lord, both our hearts and our circumstances. And Father, when the fears come, the fears of not being like everyone else, the fears of being looked down on by others, the fears of missing out, all of the various fears that keep us from obeying you. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us again and again of your love and your goodness and your presence with us. We ask, Lord, that you would be near to us this week and that we would listen to you and follow you. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you grace. This is the official end of our service. Let's love one another. Let's trust him in our weeks. And let's see all the cool things that he'll do. Amen.